In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. If you are a regular attender of our uh, 11 a.m. service here on, at Grace Church on Sundays, you will know during the school year, uh, it is usual, typical, to find choristers sitting up here ages uh, second grade through eighth grade, seven through 13, along with our wonderful adult choir. But this morning is different. The choristers are resting up right now because this week at Grace Church was the annual choir festival. Our choristers from second grade through eighth grade spent time each day of this past week with our yearly guest, friend and mentor, Dr. Barry Rose. It's like a choir boot camp, intense and rigorous preparation as the choristers juggle their school schedules and everything else they do in a day. New York City kids are very busy. Uh, they juggle all of this with this amped up choir rehearsal schedule. Each year, the choristers spend this week in February drilling down on their repertoire, refocusing their energies, learning new tips and tricks from Dr. Rose, and they sing, sing, sing all week long. The fruits of their labor are uh, a concert, an offering today at 4 p.m. as the choir prepares for a trip to Prague and Salzburg in June. This repertoire work is very important. And each year at this offering of music for treble voices, the youngest novice choristers, mostly third graders, become something new. At 4 p.m., they will become something new. The novice choristers become junior choristers and are vested with the full choir garment a white kata over their black cassock. At Grace, the, the shorthand for the white kata is just to call it your white. And so the novice choristers get whited. That's what we call it. Today at 4 p.m., they'll stick their hands up in the air and they're third graders, so this is very cute. And the Optima and the Optimus, the head choristers from the girls and the boys choir, will throw a fresh white over them. And then here they will be, no longer novices, but dazzling juniors. You may remember that these white choir katas are very similar to the longer white garment I'm wearing called a surplice. We have a word for everything, of course, in the church. And these white robes we wear from choir to clergy and to acolyte as well, they are all the same thing in different styles. They all trace their origin back to the new garment early Christians were clothed in after their baptisms. Long before proper Anglicans began dressing their babies in long white gowns on the day of their christenings, early Christians, mostly adults, 
would arrive for their baptism, for this initiation rite, entirely naked, and they would descend fully into the water, often a river or a lake or a deep carved out bath. And as they emerged, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they would then put on a white garment, their new robe for their new life in Christ. Why they did this had practical basis, of course, no dryers at home to get their clothes back to looking good. And, and it feels nice to put something fresh on after a bath, but it has scriptural basis as well. As we see in this morning's gospel reading, Jesus at the top of the mountain, transfigured in dazzling white robes. In this story, Jesus has taken his three friends up a mountain. And we don't really know if they know why they're going up there. They might think they're going for a nice hike. But intense and sometimes scary things happen on mountains in Scripture. So it is likely James and Peter and John may have been a bit nervous to follow Jesus alone up the side of a mountain. As soon as they arrive to the top, Jesus is whited. Like our choristers, Jesus is dazzling and new. Yet in his dazzling newness, he is also speaking to the past to Moses and Elijah, Old Testament heroes of scripture are there on the mountain in flesh and bone. And these first century Palestinians, Peter and James and John have, have read about them, but surely have never seen them in the flesh with their eyes. And then they hear the voice of God, the voice of God on top of the mountain echoes the voice of God as we have heard it earlier in the gospel at Jesus' baptism. We hear God say to Jesus as he emerges from the water, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Here on top of the mountain, the voice of God doesn't talk just to Jesus. Instead, God here talks to Jesus' friends. God talks to us and says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. You can imagine now Peter, James, and John looking at Jesus in his strange new white robe, talking to dead people, as God says to them, listen to this guy, listen to him. What could this mean for you today to hear this story, this clash of old and new, the dead and the living together on top of a mountain? To hear God say to you, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. As we look on Jesus, transfigured, whited, 
strange, and new. In the reading from 2 Kings, we get a little backstory on Elijah, one of the two Old Testament characters at the top of the mountain with Jesus and his friends. Elijah was a great, strong prophet for the kingdom of Israel, and his protege, Elisha, does not want him to leave. But the story tells us again and again that it is Elijah's time to go. It says he will be taken up in a whirlwind. And whether that means death or not is for you to decide, but retire at least. It is time for him to go. And Elisha, the younger, eager student, does not want his mentor to leave. I will not leave you, Elisha says, three times. And three times moving back and forth across the eastern part of the kingdom of Israel on the west bank of the Jordan River, Elijah tries to get Elisha to understand, to let him go. Finally, the two cross over the Jordan River to the east towards Gilead, and Elijah puts his foot down. Tell me, he says to Elisha, what will have you let me go? Elisha requests a double share of your spirit. And conditionally, Elijah agrees. I'll give you this if you watch as I leave. Elisha watches. Elijah is carried in a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha tears his clothes in grief. The story goes on, and we learn Elisha's ministry lasts twice as long as Elijah's, and he performs twice as many miracles. So the double share is his. The example of Elijah and Elisha is a Bible story about successful transition, about passing the mantle, about acceptance, and about the growth that happens after grief and loss. Crucially, the story tells us, you have to see the hard thing. You have to take in the hard loss, the unwanted transition. You have to watch it happen to be able to grow. You can't ignore it. You have to look. In the gospel story, God says, listen. And in this Old Testament story, Elijah says, look. Either way, scripture is telling us clearly this morning Pay attention. As a child, I was a chorister. Not here at Grace Church, but in a pretty similar program where I grew up at St. David's Church outside Philadelphia. 
We had robes, just like our Grace Church choristers, and we followed an official program, the Royal School of Church Music, where we were issued stiff cards with checklists of things we needed to know how to do to advance, things we needed to accomplish, and skills we needed to learn. Identify major intervals, sight read a hymn, recite the Apostles' Creed, etc., etc. As we achieved each, we earned more and more regalia. Our kata, our ruff, we wore stiff white collars that went up over our chin, which I absolutely loved, may not surprise you to know. We got ribbons, light blue, dark blue, red, and then we got pins to put on the ribbons. And the head chorister finally got a special heavy metal with a bar across the bottom that read head. It will probably not surprise you to hear that this whole program delighted me. And by eighth grade, I was weighed down like Michael Phelps after the Olympics. <laughs> This was the closest I was getting to any kind of physical prowess, and I savored every moment. And what I loved the most, though, was going to choir camp each year for a week in the summer, where I got to meet other children similarly afflicted by the choir bug. And we would gather, and much like the Grace Choristers this past week, sing, sing, sing. In fact, it was at this very course in 1993 that my beloved choir director, Mrs. Pound, uh, introduced me to Dr. Patrick Allen, never knowing as a seven-year-old that we would go on to be colleagues 25 plus years later. Every evening at this camp, we would sing Evensong, and this was really my first exposure to the service of evening prayer with music, where the choir sings canticles, almost always the Magnificat, Mary's song, and the Nunc Dimittis, the song of Simeon, including the, the very same version the choir just sang today, Dyson's Nunc in F. In the Nunc Dimittis, Simeon, an old man in the Gospel of Luke, enters the temple and sees the baby Jesus held in Mary's arms. Somehow, Simeon knows what he is looking at. He is not looking at a powerful figure. He's not listening to Jesus preach or teach or heal or turn over tables. Simeon is looking at an infant, and he knows, now I can go because I have seen. I have seen the salvation of God in the shape of a child. Elijah can go because Elisha sees him. Elisha sees what has come before him. Now Simeon can go because he sees. He sees what is coming after him. Elijah, Simeon, and Jesus are all people who know what has to happen. 
They know what is going to be hard. They know what is going to be sad. And through them, God speaks to us anyway. God says, yes, this is hard. Life is hard. But the good will only come if you move. The good will only come if you allow yourself to change, to become something new. Elisha and Peter and James and John and us, on the other hand, we have an instinct to avoid the pain, to avoid change, to keep things the way they are. Elisha says, I will follow you wherever you go. I won't let you go. Peter says, let's build a house here on top of the mountain. Let's never leave. And us, we fear change. We want things the way they were comfortable for us. We want the people we love to stay with us and surround us forever. We don't want to face grief, illness, or pain. Why would we want that? And yet the good, the double share, Jesus' resurrection and ascension is only available to us if we do what God says, if we look, if we listen, if we move down the mountain and out into the world changed by what we have seen and what we have heard. I have been a priest here at Grace for six years, and in that time, I have seen the choristers change every year. They have weathered a pandemic. They have evolved and grown. And every year, new choristers get their whites and old choristers leave them behind on the racks in the honor room through this grand door. In fact, the current eighth graders were the third graders at the first treble concert I attended. I saw Tanner Gola, the optimist, and Eva Dixon, the optima, stick their arms up in the air to get whited. And I've done a little math this morning and, and realized that the first novices Don might have seen get whited when he arrived at Grace are around 28 years old now. One of them is even getting married to another this summer. And Dr. Allen has been here a few years longer than that. His first novices are in their 30s. Dr. Rose's first novices may be older than that. Yes, <laughs> confirmation. You see, the Anglican choral tradition is old, yes, but it is also always new because it only continues to exist with the voices of children in dazzling white robes who are here to tell us what hope lies out there for us, who are here to sing to us through the pain and grief of life, and who are also here to show us the way forward, the way down off the mountain 
and out into the world. When despair threatens to take over, which it does, do not let it. If you cannot bear to think about war or famine or AI or climate change, dig your head right on out of the sand. Each one of you, whether through baptism or just through being here, through showing up on a Sunday morning, each one of you has a dazzling white to throw over your shoulders as you leave this place. The white is a garment of newness that makes you a child in God's eyes. It says to the world, I have seen, I have heard, and I am ready to change. I am ready to become something new. Amen.